Well, good evening. Uh, thank you for calling for uh, for joining us at Blog Talk Radio. This is David Murray. I'm joined by Dorothy Crothers. And Dorothy, there's a chance that I didn't type in for any introduction uh, praise or worship music. So um, you know, you I listening? thought about that at the last minute. Would you like me to play one? Um, yeah, you know what? This would be a perfect time for me to tell everybody, for those of you listening, um, instead of fast-forwarding, if you have the four or five minutes, just allow yourself to just be ministered to, to just quiet down, and just to get an attitude of quieting the soul, which is the purpose for this music, um, for those of you that are listening in. Um, so for those of you who are live, or even if you're not live, if you can, I, I just invite you to do that. It's a, it has worked well, and, it, and it's a, a scriptural context of entering into his presence through through quieting our soul and getting our eyes and tuning in with our spirit man so yeah dorothy why don't you go ahead and, and thank you very much for that we'll um we'll pick something up and then we'll start right after that okay how about that where i am you may also be that's great thanks dorothy okay here we go In my father's house, there are many, many rooms. In my father's house, there are many, many rooms. And I'm going up there now to prepare a place Thanks, Dorothy. I, I uh, 
much. I appreciate that. I just, uh, I'm so, uh, oh, I love that. Look at that background music while I'm talking. Um, it's just I found that uh, when we bathe our time with the Lord, um, an attitude of praise, worship, thanksgiving, what we're doing is we are conforming our belief system, in our mind, our will, our emotions. We're bringing it um, into alignment with the Word of God, with the heart of God, with the love of God, if we allow it to. Like anything, what we could do can be become an external activity. Um, that we're going to talk about today, an external activity that's devoid of the love of God or the nature of God on our inside. So we, we always want to make sure that we're choosing to come into alignment um, with his word. And the Psalms are an excellent example of that. David always submitted his soul to his spirit man, to the truth of God's nature, to the truth of God's word. So I'm just so big on, on praise and worship. There, there's, a, there's a common misperception that worship brings the Holy Spirit. And that's a half-truth. Well, it's more than a half-truth. It's less than a half-truth. One, the Holy Spirit's already inside of us. So the Holy Spirit does not come down from heaven. We're in a new covenant. We're in the, the, new, the new covenant, right? One thing that the body of Christ that I've been encouraging all of us is to get out of the old mindset and to stop mingling the new covenant with the old covenant. We can't mix and match. It's not a jigsaw puzzle that we can fit the pieces, force them into place. They either fit or they don't. And the Holy Spirit came down at the day of Pentecost and never left. So we have to really stop thinking. Um, now, I know speech has something to do with it. We could say one thing and really mean something else, but we really have to embrace and understand the Holy Spirit is already on the earth. We're not waiting for the Holy Spirit to come down. He's already in us, and by us entering into true worship from our hearts, to be centered on Christ, to praising and worshiping and meditating on Christ, what we do is we're putting our spirit man in prop, we're putting our soul in proper alignment to receive the revelation that our spirit man is getting by communing with the Holy Spirit. That's what praise and worship does. Uh, we, you know, well, I don't want to get into too much of that, but you know, there's this um, in America. Excuse, excuse me. In America, we have embraced. Excuse me, one second. We have embraced this um this teaching, this idea that we go to fellowship or where we go to fellowship is based around the worship. And I'll hear many, many, many Christians um, that I've met in the last ten years, in particular, talk to me. Well. They would do fellowship differently or they would enter into fellowship differently, but where they go just has such great praise music. They have such great praise and worship. And one of the things that we're failing to discern in the body of Christ here in the United States is that when we enter into true worship, true praise, in whatever form that is, whether it's with guitars or drums or a cappella or tambourines or with nothing, whatever, Spirit-involved, spirit-connected praise and worship, meaning it's, it's meeting our spirit man and not our soul, will transform us. It will engage the spirit realm. What many of us think is spirit-led and filled um, praise and worship is worship that's of the soul. 
and it strengthens our mind, our will, and our emotions, which is why we feel great when we go into a service and we leave the same way. And by the time we get home, we're arguing with our spouse about the same things we argued about on our way to church fellowship. That's an indication amongst several other things. It's worship that's geared at making the soul feel good because when our mind and our will and our emotions feels good, it's a relief to the pressures that our mind, will, and emotions are experiencing throughout the week. That's why there's, there's a very big push on going to, quote-unquote, church. Right? We are the church, but we talk about going to church where there is great praise music. And really what it is, it's how much, how powerful that, that music, that band, that gathering can draw upon our soul to feel relief from the pressures that we are feeling. That is not worship. That is a soulish type of worship. It is a false type of worship, and it's prevalent in much of the church fellowship today. True worship is centered upon Christ. It is centered upon hearing him. It is centered upon his heart. And what we will do when, at, at some point in Christ-centered praise and worship, we will touch the heart of God, and it will touch our hearts, and it will bring us to our knees. And that's not groveling, and that's not, well, David, you're always talking about repentance. It's conforming it to the image of Christ. Repentance is not a negative thing, guys. It's life. It is to turn from death and away from death and to turn toward life. That's repentance. Repentance is life. We repented of spiritual death when we turned to the cross. Now, as Christians, we need to turn any areas of our walk, our mind, our will, our emotions, or our body that are engaging in activity that is not life of the kingdom. You can't get away from repentance. It's a good thing. It brings life if we turn to Christ. And so um, that kind of dovetails a little bit into it. I wasn't meaning to talk in any of that, but <clears throat> but it bears down to what we're going to be talking about, Doorways to Intimacy, uh, part three, which is holiness. We're going to get into some biblical holiness. How do we engage in holiness? What it means? Uh, but before we get into that, I want to discuss one topic. Um, I hear this uh, a lot. I get questioned about this a lot. Um, one of the things that I am called to do, I'm called to serve and function the body of Christ, is to help impart the wisdom of God. Now, that doesn't mean I'm all wise and knowing, and it's not a statement of pride. All of our identities are secured in Jesus Christ alone. He is our worth, and he has dispersed different gifts, callings, um, and, and manifestations of his spirit throughout the body of Christ. Every one of us has giftings and callings, and we are meant to build up one another to the full stature of Jesus Christ, Ephesians 4.13 says. We are all meant to become elders, mature, seasoned children, sons and daughters of God. One of my places in the body of Christ to help the body of Christ reach that, as the Lord is working that out in me, is through proper discernment of the word. It's teaching about righteousness, about the nature of who God is, who we are, if we've received him as, as Savior, what it means to make him Lord, we always say, is he your Lord and Savior? That is, that is just a misnomer cliche that we have been saying for a really long time. He becomes our Savior, 
And as we begin walking out righteousness and his truth and his word, we begin making him Lord in the areas we turn from our carnal-minded thinking and submit to the life of God. So if everyone says, oh, yeah, the, he, he, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, that's mm, – we really need to check ourselves with that. He's our Savior if we are placing our first love first in our hearts. We are in the process of giving him all areas of our life so that he is becoming Lord over every area of our heart and every area of our walk. Um, so anyway, one of the things I want to discuss, it, it, it came up uh, not too long ago, and, it, and it's a wonderful principle. of how do we discern the word? How do we, and this is going to be a quick little, just a two-minute little anecdotal side thing for those of you. How, David, how do we discern the word? How do we rightly divide the word of God? We're going to begin doing it, teaching on that some more and, and getting in that. But here's the, here is the a main key. It's understanding principles. It's when we read a scripture we need to remove the dead tradition and religion that we have been fed. Now, I'm not saying to throw out Christ. Christ is in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. We throw out anything that has colored or skewed our lens. And we look at the Word of God fresh, understanding we are fully loved and accepted by the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us and that we have no business getting our worth or identity from the world. We need to establish that before we approach anything of the kingdom, or we're not approaching the kingdom from the mind of Christ. Psalm 42.1 is a wonderful example of needless contention that takes place in the body of Christ. I'm going to turn to it. I think I can remember. I got it. I could probably say it. I think I can. Okay. Um, I won't turn to it. Psalm 42.1, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you. This is an example. This is one verse that has caused needless contention in the body of Christ simply because we don't practice discernment in where someone's heart's coming from, what they're saying, and also understanding that the, what is the principle of what is being said in a verse, that we can apply the principle to our walk and apply it to our soul and submit it to our spirit man, which is where the Holy Spirit resides, power inside of us. And here's what I mean. I've had people, it's been this, it's this little, um, you know, the body of Christ goes through certain um, insights and things, and these insights come to the forefront. They become uh, the next wind of doctrine that we discuss. And if they're biblically based and they're firm and they're, they're in balance, they're wonderful. But where they get out of balance is when we, become, we begin becoming dogmatic, and we begin losing the principle of a verse, and we try to conform it to make it fit a point that we're trying to make. And one of the points that goes out to the body of Christ is stop thinking under the old covenant. Not a lot of people talking about it. <clears throat> we, like, we like to mix it when it suits us, and it suits what we're trying to preach on and stir up emotion. But, but there are those out there that are teaching, hey, do not go into the old covenant. We don't, we don't thirst for God anymore. We don't thirst for him. He's on the inside of us. Okay, the principle, believe, is trying to be taught there is to recognize the Holy Spirit is in the born-again believer. And yes and amen to that. The body of Christ needs to grasp that. Amen. Right? The Holy Spirit is in us. So stop calling down the Holy Spirit or stop saying, well, I'm chasing after God. There was a book that talked about that. It's just, um, you don't get into contention. We don't chase God, guys. 
He's in us. We don't chase him. God's not some maniacal uh, dad or surrogate father figure that he wants us to chase him down. That's not the nature of our Lord and Savior. That's not, that's not who he is. He's on the inside of us. Um, and along those lines is that there's, there's the body of Christ is attempting to get a hold of this, okay? And so because of that, Psalm 42, which has been a wonderful verse for many people, has come under attack. Stop singing that song. Stop mentioning that verse because we don't thirst after God, right? Psalm 42 isn't saying we thirst after God because we don't have the Holy Spirit inside of us. What David is saying is what's called a simile, okay? The principle is it's a simile to apply one aspect of something seen in nature to describe his dynamic for, with it, he and his relationship with the Lord. As the deer pants for water, it doesn't say that it's looking for water. It says, in the same way that a deer pants for water. Now, the word pants in the Hebrew is translated different ways. The Hebrew word means to cry out for. As the deer cries out for water, so my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions cries out for the Lord. Anyone who says they don't cry out for the Lord, they're not seeking deeper intimacy. They're not seeking to experience greater revelation and to walk in greater mind of Christ. They're not looking to identify and reject the carnal-minded man that they've died to and are looking to embrace the word of God. Anyone who says they're not crying out for that is backslid. That's just the reality. There's just no semantics in that because we're failing to understand the principle of Psalm 42 wants. David is saying, my soul cries out for the presence of the Holy Spirit that communes with my spirit. I wish to engage him with every part of my being. In the same way that deer cries out looking for water. doesn't say David's looking for water. doesn't say there's a type and shadow of the Holy Spirit. David is just looking at a deer understanding how a deer's dynamic is to water, and says, in the same way that a deer is looking for that water, I am crying out for the full presence and expression of the Lord, guys. And that's a wonderful example how if we just step back and take a breath and just think from the mind of Christ, the scriptures become very easy. They're not complicated. They're not meant to be complicated. We just have to take the pressure off of ourselves, put away the traditions, put away the emotionalism, and stop and say, what is the principle here the Lord's trying to show me? Is what I believe he's trying to show me consistent with the Bible in the, in the fact that it's progressive revelation, old covenant to new covenant? And in the new covenant, it absolutely discusses that. Paul says, I beat my body into submission. Paul says that the carnal-minded man wages war against the mind of Christ that's in him. In the same way, Paul cried out for the Lord, David cried out. Different covenants, same principle. We should be yearning in expression. The more we understand the love of God, the more we want more of him. That's all David's talking about, guys. It does it, not... Uh, it, so anyway, that's just a principle. Um, someone asked me about that recently, and I, I figured I would just share that. Um, it's principle. Understanding what God is trying to say in light of the new covenant will remove a ton of confusion. 
Anyway, Doorways to Intimacy Part 3 Holiness. Before I get into that, people have been asking, yes, I have a website, dwmurray.com. It has additional resources um, and teachings and insights. Um, some people have asked me, David, do you have any examples? You talk about certain things. Do you, you know, do you have any examples of those? Yes, on my website. I try to mix in my personal experiences because if we only talk about the things in the Bible and don't walk in them, it's theology. Theology is meant to be put into practice. And on um, my website, I have um, different sections in that talks about just my interactions with the Lord and how I go about my day. Uh, you know, I'm far from perfect and make a ton of mistakes, but um, you know, we have fun. We're meant to have fun. And um, so, yeah, there's additional resource on that. Okay. Doorways to intimacy, part three. Um, we're going to be talking about holiness. We're talking about three aspects of this. What is holiness? How do we walk in holiness? And how does it affect the depth of our intimacy? How is this a doorway to greater intimacy? How does holiness give us access to greater union, communion, and intimacy with our Lord? So number one, what is holiness? Holiness means to be in the same, as the same nature as God. Okay, the Greek word for holiness to be, to means to have the nature of God. The related verse, we talked about this in our last broadcast, the related word to holiness, sanctification. Sanctification of holiness has the same root word. Sanctification is a verb, process of becoming holy. So sanctification is the process of being holy, which means to be in the same nature as, as God. Here is the point of holiness. Holiness must come from the inside out. If we attempt to mimic the nature of God, it's not holiness, guys. It's a false holiness. It's a carnal holiness. It's a form of godliness without power. We don't become holy by changing our conduct. We're going to get into this more. We can change, we can change in one of two ways. We can change by the power of our mind, will, and emotions. That's our soul. Or we could change by the power of the Holy Spirit moving upon us from the inner man, our spirit man. The soul cannot change our nature. Our mind, our will, and our emotions does not change us. We, all we can do through that is exercise self-control, which is a fruit of the spirit. It also can be a fruit of the strength of our own self-will. We talk about someone who's strong-willed, depending upon the context we may be discussing how someone has a strong desire to do things their way. Or we could say that they have a strong resistance to being discouraged. Uh, it depends on the context. But our strong will can never make us holy. It can only mimic holiness. Holiness starts from the inside out. It is meant to be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with un with un, an unveiled face, behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, the immediate context of this is um, Paul is making the transition. He's explaining the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is an introvert into chapter 4 is a incredible book in addition to the book of Hebrews that discusses the new covenant we're in. If we were really familiar with Hebrews and in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4, 
a lot of things that we hear in the body of Christ, a lot of teachings would start to, to really, we'd recognize them as false teachings um, because we tend to want to pick and choose aspects of the old covenant and mingle them with the new covenant. And um, what Paul is talking about here, the immediate context of being changed from glory to glory is that we have a glory that does not fade. Okay, The old covenant faded. The new covenant doesn't because the glory is on the inside of us. Here's the point and the principle of this verse. Here's the principle, again, principle of what Paul is talking about. Verse uh, 2 Corinthians three fifteen. But even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies upon their heart, meaning the Jews that, that did not accept Christ. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The principle is there. He's talking to believers where we turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Any area we do not turn to the Lord, we are not engaging the glory of God. And so the glory to glory that we move in is the access we have in the new covenant. We have the Holy Spirit, the glory of the Lord on the inside of us. And in every area we turn and acknowledge him, we are increasing the realms of glory that we walk in. Principle of what Paul is talking about. He's explaining the old covenant, where we have access into the new covenant, and then how we engage the reality of that glory. And that's how we're changed into ever-increasing levels of glory. The glory is in us all along. We're in the new covenant. The Holy Spirit is in us. So that leads us into the next two uh, points of the, the topic. After we talked about what is holiness, how do we walk in holiness? How does it affect the depth of our intimacy? So number one, how do we walk in holiness? Two ways. Number one, we agree with his word. Number two, we walk in his word. This is the twofold area of our will. This is where our soul, last time we talked about our soul, how we need to submit our soul, there's a lot of overlap here. We agree with his word and we walk in his word. In his word. This is an attitude of our will. Meaning, will we agree with what the word says? This is biblical faith. Will we walk in agreement with this word? This is biblical or the word works. Right? It's another hot topic we've talked about. You know, we, anytime we hear the word works, we think, oh, salvation, you're earning salvation. No, no. You can't earn salvation other than the works of confession. The Bible says that faith without works is dead. Right? So if someone says, well, you, you, if you're saved, that means you have to show works to it. That is such false teaching and such a lack of understanding of biblical context. Um, it bears mentioning right here. If you have the belief that Jesus is Messiah and he is your Savior, right? Romans 10 says that if we confess with our mouth, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved. So the works of salvation is not that it can be earned. It's there's a grasping a hold of the, the truth of God's word. That is biblical works. If I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, right, I have a belief. But I never confess him. I never do the work of saying, Lord, I accept that free gift. 
I receive you into my life. I receive you. I repent. I acknowledge I cannot earn salvation. It is a gift, and I personally receive you. That was an action, guys. That was a quote-unquote work. The works of salvation is confession that Jesus is your Messiah. And the Holy Spirit says, though the scriptures say the Holy Spirit then enters into us. So when someone quotes you, well, faith without works is dead, what is the context? James talks about it very clearly. If you tell someone, go be in health and be warm, right, you have a belief, you want them to be warm and be fed, but don't clothe them or feed them, your belief, your desire is useless. In the same way, if we believe Jesus is our Messiah and we do not perform the quote-unquote works or the action of accepting him into our hearts, that belief is of no good. So it doesn't procure salvation. Holy Spirit doesn't enter into us. So that's just to put some context in there. There is a biblical works or action that, that we must accompany in our walk with the Lord. And it's, it has nothing to do with earning anything. It has to do with believing the word of God and then acting upon what we believe in. In any and all areas of the body and soul, we must do this. We tend to only focus on the body when we refer to um, holiness, or lack of holiness. We tend to just focus on the body or, or, the, or, the, uh, or sarcos, the flesh. But 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you, meaning make you holy, gain, grow you in the process of becoming holy. May he sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord. See, we like to remove soul from there. We say, well, I have the Holy Spirit inside of us. My spirit is, is pure, and I don't engage any actions of the flesh, so I, I, I'm, I'm not defiling myself. Well, we got a whole big chunk right there in the middle called the soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. And a major key to understanding this is found in Matthew 23, 23. Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. Those are actions of the will. Another way of saying that, those are actions of the soul. So what is Jesus judging the Pharisees on? Their soul. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, you give, right, outward action, but you have not addressed the inner action justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. He goes on to say, then you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence, actions of the soul. These are beliefs and the conditions of our soul, or saying another way, the condition of our heart, right? Blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. So in both examples here, Jesus is talking about the soul. He's talking about your inside needs to be cleansed. He's discussing the carnal-minded man. And in the, when, when we enter into the new covenant that's to come, the Holy Spirit comes into our spirit being, guys. And it's the process of saying, okay, I've been given the ability 
to dial into the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit lives in me, speaking to me constantly. I can conform my belief system based upon the Word of God and walk in the mind of Christ. That's an area of our soul. He then goes on to say, you are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside. Again, what we do with our bodies. But on the inside, you are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Everything Jesus addressed here had to do with the soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. What's key to understand here is the way we transform our soul is we agree with his word, then we walk in agreement with his words. So we first agree. That's our belief system. Then we put actions to our beliefs or said another way, right? Biblical works. If I believe God has given me the dominion to lay hands upon the sick and they'll get healed, but I don't ever pray for anybody. My faith has no works, has no action behind it. It's useless. It doesn't do me any good. If I believe the scriptures say, take care of the widows, the orphans and the elderly, I have a belief. I say, yes, Lord, yes, the body of Christ should be doing that. But I don't engage any of those areas in my community, my neighbor, strangers, gas station, supermarket, the gym, rest stops, work, anywhere. If I don't engage the lost or engage the body of Christ, my beliefs, me saying yes and amen to the word of God, are of no value to me. We have to walk in agreement with his word and then we have to follow the actions of what that word says. Now, I'm not talking about, um, I'm not talking about doing things to make yourself more loved by God, guys. Okay, that's self-righteousness. That's trying to get God loved. He already loves us fully. That's the, see, that's the, the both sides of the ditch, right, that we can fall into. Every truth has the potential for us to enter into a ditch through fallen-minded thinking. When I go to share the gospel, when I go to share anything with my interactions with the people around me, it's either coming from me saying, okay, I know I quote-unquote should do this, and there's really no love in it, or I'm doing it as a result of my communion and intimacy. And as I have greater and greater revelations of the Lord's love for me, I begin to want to express that. That's moving in holiness from the inside out. That brings us to our next point. So we talked about what is holiness. It's being in the same nature of God. How do we walk in holiness? It's agreement and action. It's beliefs and then action. How does it affect the depth of our intimacy? Okay. Holiness draws us into intimacy because as we conform our beliefs and our actions, it draws us into greater awareness of the presence of God inside of us. It draws us into greater awareness to the spirit realm all around us. Well, why is that? You know, what is is that? Again, now we could talk about fearful, quote-unquote, works, fearful, quote-unquote, actions, and we're not trying to earn anything. 
You don't earn it. God doesn't say, okay, David, you, you prayed for X amount of people today this week. You paid for one stranger a day when you got, you know, you know, you pumped up your gas and you bought a cup of coffee for two people this week. You have earned the right to walk in my presence. That's garbage. That's carnal-minded thinking that is not moving by the righteousness of Christ and his and understanding that we're fully loved and pleasing. The Lord says, he who spared not his own son, but offered him up for atonement for our sins, how shall he not also with Christ freely give us all things? The kingdom of God is inside of us. The spirit realm is all around us. It's, it's, oh, it's, it, the spirit realm operates in tandem with this natural realm. So the way we enter into presence isn't earning it. It's that as we come into alignment with our thinking, coming into agreement with our spirit, man, which is where the Holy Spirit lies, what's happening is, is our soul is receiving and accepting the communion and the reality of the spirit realm in us and around us. The more we are transformed into his nature in our entire being, our spirit, our mind, our will, our emotions, and ultimately our bodies, right? And ultimately our conduct just falls right into alignment because our soul tells our body what to do, right? Our will determines what we will do. What we meditate on with our mind will ultimately determine what we desire our body to do. As we conform to his word and walk that out, that is the process of sanctification. It's the process of moving in holiness or being in the nature of God. And what that does is it puts us into alignment. It's like, um, it's like we have a pair of binoculars or a telescope and they're blurry, right? What is, what is out there in the distance across the field is always there, right? Um, as we are coming into the same nature and alignment of God, one of our spiritual senses, right, let's say this, the eyes, we're talking about binoculars, our spiritual discernment or ability to see into the spirit realm gets sharper and sharper and sharper because we're beginning to see, think, and feel what our Lord sees, thinks, and feels. It's his realm, and we're beginning to interact in his realm because our soul is not fighting with his realm. So if my mind is always thinking about things that have nothing to do with the kingdom, it's going to be very hard for him to speak to me about things in the kingdom because I'm not interested in them. But the kingdom is in me. The spirit realm is all around me. So again, this isn't earning the right. It's coming to alignment so that it just it falls into place. Our, our beliefs and our actions draw us into the presence of God. Psalm 24.3. Again, now this is, this is Old Testament, but it's the principle I want us to get, the principle of what David was saying. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in this holy place? Now his holy place is in us. He who has clean hands and a pure heart or pure soul, mind, will, emotions, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, he does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. The principle of what David is saying is who will engage the holy place? Who will stand in the holy place? It's someone who has a soul that is in alignment with the righteousness of God. 
So two ways. Part A, beliefs. We cannot seek God in our spirit, man, and to continue to run free with the dead carnal mind. Okay, it will severely limit our walk. We will only get so far in our walk with the Lord. There's, I've met just so many Christians that they hear God's voice. They learn how to get quiet in their prayer time and recognize the voice of God. Um, you know, many of them have dreams. The Lord speaks to them in, in the night watch, and they have dreams or they have visions. But if we don't allow the interactions in the written word and our interactions through our communion time, if we don't yield our soul to come into alignment with the nature of God, then we're never truly becoming holy. We're not allowing our nature to conform to the nature of God. Remember, that's the definition of holiness. It's being the same nature. If I am fighting with God in my nature because I am not yielding to his truth, his beliefs, uh, and as a result, my thinking, my believing, my heart's desires, they don't come into conformance with the Lord. There's only so much he can engage with us in the realm of the spirit because I am fighting him. I'm waging war against his kingdom, against his nature, against interactions with him. Again, this isn't about earning anything. It's just the reality of it. It's the reality of what we do, what we put our energies into, what we sow to is what we'll reap. Galatians 6, 8 says if we sow to the flesh, we'll reap the flesh. If we sow toward the spirit, we reap interactions with the spirit realm. So, if we continue to run around with our carnal-minded thinking, if we don't discipline ourselves to recognize our thinking and bring it into submission to the obedience of the Word of God, we're only going to get so far. Um, if we don't at some point begin to engage Him and begin to agree with His Word about who He says He is, about who He says we are, if we don't, if we don't take the interactions and the trials and the things he puts us through, which are meant to set us free, and we don't glean from them, if we don't say, okay, I'm going to use this to press into the, the fear and the garbage that I'm operating in in my soul, it, we're, just, we're, we're never going to enter into the depth of intimacy that our dad in heaven wants to engage us with. He longs to have intimacy with his children. He died. He sent his son to die so that we could be restored to intimacy. That's why the scriptures say, who spared not his own son, how shall he not also freely give us all things? Intimacy is one of those all things. He desires communion. That's why he sent Jesus to die. That is why Jesus died. It says, Jesus endured the shame of the cross, despising it, the shame of the cross, because he saw the end game. He saw the picture of what would come. Well, what was the end game? The end game was restored communion. It was access into the Holy of Holies. We have access to the Holy of Holies, but if we don't, even, if we don't submit our thinking and don't begin conducting ourselves in agreement to what we believe, we choose to stay in the outer court of our hearts. We choose not to engage the realm of the spirit. The soul, if it's not walking in alignment with the word of God, 
will reject the revelation it receives from our spirit man. Romans 8, 7 says this. Proverbs 23, 7 says this. The carnal-minded man will always reject it. So holiness, the depth of our intimacy, because in any areas we are not moving toward agreement with him. We are not being transformed into his image. If we are rejecting his nature, rejecting his word, rejecting his truth, if we don't allow our soul to come into communion with him and allow it to change our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, then we're going to be very limited into the depth of our intimacy because God, God communes with us in spirit. And we can only worship him in spirit and in truth, the word of God says. He cannot join with falsehood. He cannot join with sin. He cannot join with carnality. So he engages us to the degree that we allow ourselves to engage with him. We are a spirit being. But when our spirit man gets the revelation from the Holy Spirit, right? The scriptures say that the spirit of Christ lives in us. We have been given the mind of Christ. Well, when he's speaking to our spirit man, there have been times when the Lord has spoken to me. And when the Lord speaks to me, my soul is having a tough time grasping it. My soul is saying, no, I, I, I'm, I'm struggling with that. I don't, I don't, uh, I got some wounds there. I got some garbage that goes against my theology. Let me get back into the word and see what the word says. Well, sure enough. And he starts me down a journey of showing me how I have, believed a lie because I haven't properly looked at the word and he's bringing revelation through communion revelation through that time with him but if I say no you know what Lord you I know you're speaking to this but I'm just not going to yield to this well then we just we have just rejected the invitation to greater holiness we have just rejected walking in holiness or walking in his nature because a revelation of him brings holiness a revelation of his nature is an invitation for us to engage, cooperate, agree, submit to his nature, which conforms us into his image. So when he gives a revelation, it's an invitation toward holiness. So how does holiness affect our intimacy? If we don't want to walk in his nature, if we don't want to agree with his word, if we resist these things, we are resisting holiness we are resisting intimacy because he only communes with us in truth. He cannot, he, the scriptures say he, he resists the proud. Pride by definition is to seek worth, beliefs, actions, thoughts that are contrary to the nature of God because he can't do it. He's a holy God. His nature never changes. He does not bend his nature to fit our um, the carnal mind that we died to, that we're choosing to continue to identify with. So, so how does it affect our intimacy? Well, a is our beliefs, right? Our soul has to yield to the word of God, submit to when we're, our spirit man is, is communing with him and, and he is engaging us. He'll always confirm it by the word. And part B is how we act. How we act must come from the inner transformation of the soul. Otherwise, it's dead self-righteousness. The church typically and popularity has taught um, 
not only been taught, but commanded to walk in a self-righteousness. We wouldn't call it that. We'd say, oh, it's just the opposite. No, no, no. If, the, if we are being taught, if the church is speaking on, and focused on our conduct and is bypassing the root, our conduct comes from our belief system. Actions come from our emotions. Emotions come from thoughts. Thoughts come from our belief system. So if we just focus on our actions, but we don't look at why we have a tendency to act the way we do, all we're doing is conforming the outer man. That's the very thing Jesus condemned and judged the Pharisees about. We don't focus on the outer man. The outer man will be a byproduct of us communing and yielding our mind, our thoughts, our belief systems, our heart, our emotions, as they come into alignment with the nature of God, as we move into holiness, into the nature of our Lord, the body will follow suit. Because then my soul can say, that action is inconsistent with the holiness of God. That action is inconsistent with the nature of my soul. My soul cries out, for holiness, to be in the same nature of God in my thinking. So even though that action may seem pleasurable, and whatever that is, whatever, whatever it is, I can say from the renewed mind of Christ, from my soul walking in agreement with the word of God, yielded to my spirit, man, now I can address the potentiality for that action and say, no, that action is beneath me. It is a violation of holiness. It is a violation of my nature. I have been transformed by sowing to the spirit. I have been transformed into the nature of God in this area. I refuse to submit my body to works of death and unrighteousness. Now that's a person who's yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit, flowing out of their inner man, flowing through their mind, through their soul, and putting down the works of the flesh. That is proper biblical holiness. That's proper communion. That is how the flow of our life in the Lord is meant to be. That is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 26, Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body, and I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself may not be disqualified for the prize. See, what Paul is, and he identifies all throughout the New Testament is the mind of Christ. And it's from the mind of Christ, if you read 1 Corinthians, by the time he gets to chapter 9, he's talking about their belief system, and then he's saying, from the renewed belief system, now I submit my body. See, the church has completely ignored the soul. We just say, oh, we just, we're, we're focused on how we act. Guys, I don't want to, please, I don't, you know, someone will take this snippet and cut and paste it and make it say something I'm not. You guys understand what I'm saying, right? When I say it doesn't matter what we do, I'm not saying it doesn't matter what we do. I'm saying it only will produce spirit living and spirit life and have eternal fruit if our actions are coming from the outflow of our inner man. And our inner man gets that from the Holy Spirit. It renews the soul into the mind of Christ. And then from that mind of Christ, I put the actions, I beat my body, as Paul said, into submission. He's doing it from the mind of Christ. There are things that 
there are those that are listening that have struggled a very long time with a certain area of their walk in regards to conduct. Guys, you will never change your conduct by focusing on your conduct. That is death. That is self-righteousness. It's works of the flesh. It's soulish living. You will never conquer the snares of the body, the desires of the five physical senses by trying to exercise self-control. Now, hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't exercise self-control. I'm saying is you won't exercise. There's a difference between exercising um, dominion over the body through soul and there's a, there's a difference between exercising dominion of the body through walking in holiness, being in nature to God. You can't fake holiness. Holiness is to be in the nature of God, not to act in the same nature of God. That's a false holiness. That is carnal-minded, fallen, soulish living. And the body of Christ, when we talk about it being carnal, carnal, it's talking about includes the soul, the unrenewed soul. We do not live by our soul, guys. We live by our spirit man. And we renew our soul. And if we're struggling, for those of you that are struggling with an aspect of your five physical senses of the body, I'm telling you, you don't focus on that. You focus on your communion with the Lord because the scriptures say it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It is a revelation of him in greater and greater revelations of glory that we are transformed into his nature. That is holiness. Holiness comes from the transformation of our thinking, our believing, our emotions. That is holiness. It is being in the same nature of God. When we think his thoughts, we are holy. We are practicing. We are walking in holiness. When I feel what he feels, think what he thinks, um, desire what he desires, do what I see my Father in heaven doing, I am walking in holiness from the inner man. I can lay hands on as many people as I want for, for, for sick, for needs, for whatever. That's not holiness. That is acting holy. That is acting like Christ. That doesn't mean I am in nature of Christ. That has to do with my belief system conforming to the spirit of God inside me. So for those of you, again, I just feel burdened with this very strongly. There are those listening that, that have been in bondage to um, certain sins of the body, and you're discouraged, and you're you're you, you're... You feel it's hopeless. It's not. You don't need deliverance. You don't need to exercise a spirit over you. You need to spend time conforming your mind to believe how much he loves you. The more that you grasp how much he loves you, that desire will just lift. It'll be like the morning vapor that just vanishes when the sun hits the grass. And that's not meant to be poetic, guys. That's the reality of the spirit realm. Things lift when we get into his presence. The body is meant to serve the mind of Christ. It's meant to serve our soul. And the way we get delivered from those things. Now, sometimes there's an actual deliverance. We pray and there's a, a demonic uh, influence there and they go, I'm not saying that there's not. But we don't need to wait for something to take place. We turn our affections to Christ. 
we turn our eyes to Jesus. We cry out for the Lord the same way that a deer cries for water. We cry out for the holiness of God to envelop us, to transform us into his image, to change our nature from the inside out. Do not be discouraged. It is not hopeless. I encourage you to stop focusing on that action of the body. You focus on what God is interested in, which is your heart. He's interested in the body as the body reflects the holiness of our spirit and soul. That's where defiling of the body comes into play. Denying those things doesn't change our level of communion and intimacy. It never will. You cannot change the inner man by working on the outside in. And please reread Matthew 23, 23. Read it again and again and again. It's the inside out. Our outer actions, the actions of our five senses, if they're not, if they're not in alignment with the nature of God, will defile our body. Our inner actions, the actions of our soul, is what defiles our spirit man. This is what kicks us out of intimacy. Said another way, when we are not choosing to walk in agreement with his kingdom nature and we partake of something that's not of his kingdom, it's defiling. It's the opposite of his nature. It's the opposite of holiness. I won't go into it um, because we're running short on time, but this is all foreshadowed in the Mosaic law. Everything that makes someone unclean, that defiles. The word defile means to desecrate, okay? What does that mean when I say it defiles our nature, you know? Um, uh, Your spouse is lusting after someone else outside of, 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 you know, uh, uh, yeah, why not? Okay, so men, if if you're looking uh, at someone else lustfully, how is that defiling your wife? What does that mean? Well, I'll explain what that means. We throw that word around. We really haven't been taught a clue what that means. Defile means to, to desecrate. The word desecrate means to take something that is sacred, a place or a thing, and to show it disrespect. It's to take something that's sacred and treat it as common or ordinary or to lowly esteem it. Right? That's, that's what that means to defile. Did I literally do something to my wife if I'm looking at something I shouldn't be looking at? Well, I didn't actually do anything to Maya. I'm defiling her. What I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm not honoring. I'm, not, I am, I'm treating something that is sacred and holy, and I am treating it with less than what it is in the kingdom in the eyes of the Father. That's what defilement means. It's to disrespect. It's to treat improperly. Um, and it comes with all sorts of unpleasant side effects. In the same way, the actions of our soul take the communion that we're having spirit to spirit in our inner man, and it disregards it. It disrespects it. It despises it. It doesn't esteem it. It rejects it. We cannot enter into great intimacy. We cannot commune in the spirit realm around us by engaging the Holy Spirit within us If I'm defiling that through contending in my soul, I I hope that makes sense. I'll say it again. Our five physical senses senses is what can defile our body if we don't treat them properly. It is the actions of our soul that can defile or lightly esteem or reject or desecrate or not honor or treat as unholy 
or um, or or disregard, show a lack of respect. It is our soul that does that to our spirit man that is communing with the Holy Spirit. We are spirit beings. The Holy Spirit is inside our spirit man. Our, we have been made born anew by our spirit man. But if I choose to live by my own thinking, I am desecrating the communion that is taking place in my spirit man with the Holy Spirit. And we are not going to get very into much intimacy with the Lord if we do that. It doesn't mean he's not going to speak to us. Right? God does not give and withhold. It means I'm just going to reject most of the things that the, my spirit man is trying to impart to my soul. We're a triune being. We are a spirit man, we have a soul, and we possess a body. And that's why so many Christians, I, you, you meet so many people that they, they talk and they, they hear from God, and you say, how could they hear from God? They have this going on, this going on. Well, they could very well be hearing from the Lord. The Lord speaks to his children. It's what we choose to listen to and how much we choose to allow that to change our nature, to walk in greater holiness, which facilitates greater communion, which transforms us more into his nature, which makes us more holy, which creates greater intimacy, and it's, a never, it's meant to be a never-ending cycle of going deeper and deeper and deeper into realms of the spirit. And guys, if that excites some of you, it should it's meant for every one of our, every child of God is destined for the throne. We are destined to live in communion with the Lord inside of us. That's why the temple curtain was torn. That's the type and shadow of the Mosaic law. All these things that make us unclean are all the areas that we reject the nature of God. See, we have the Mosaic Law, and we keep trying to go back to the Mosaic Law. We keep trying to do the things of the body. When the Mosaic Law was meant to point us to the soul, we needed to have the Holy Spirit inside of us to transform our thinking so that we wouldn't defile our spiritual walk. And we just want to go back under the old covenant many times. Well, let me just make sure I'm doing the right things with my body, never addressing the soul. When First Thessalonians says that your spirit, your soul, and your body be kept blameless. Jesus in Matthew twenty three twenty three, an entire paragraph, he talked about the problem of the Pharisees. The problem with the Pharisees is they weren't interested in their soul, their heart, their thinking, their emotions. They didn't care that they were self-righteous and hateful people. They just cared about getting the approval of others because they didn't know the love of God. They didn't understand the love of God, and they weren't willing to give up their false belief system to let go of that, and then like grabbing for a rope in the dark, grabbing for the light of his love. Every one of us must make that decision. Won't change how much he loves us. He loves us fully and deeply. This has got nothing to do with love or earning anything. This has to do with our choice to engage the realm of the spirit, to engage the reality of his love, to engage the fire of his nature, or to not. The reality is there are many... When we talk about a remnant, it's not because God calls out a remnant of people. That's such blasphemy. God doesn't call out people. Jesus says many are called, but few are chosen. 
The calling to intimacy goes out to every one of his children because the Holy Spirit is inside of us, okay? The Holy Spirit, guys, is inside of you. If you have asked Christ to be your Savior, you have confessed your sins, you acknowledge you can't earn have salvation, you need his righteousness. That begins the walk with God. Then for the rest of our lives, we get to engage the realm of intimacy with him as much as we choose to allow it to. That's not, it's not up to God. His sovereignty is balanced out by the free will he gave us because there can be no true love without free will. I'm not getting into it. So it's not meant to be philosophical. That's just relationship, guys. The reason why God allowed our children the free will to obey and disobey because how much joy does it bring us when my child says of his own free will, I love you, Daddy. When we had, we had kids, we had, you know, three young children, you know, Nathan, Daniel, and Rachel, and they're now seven, seven, five, and Rachel's turning four tomorrow. When, when, when relatives would come over, and this ties home what I'm trying to say here about holiness and changing us to his nature and changing from the inside out. You, you know, when they were young and they were growing up, um, and people would say, oh, you know, give me a kiss, and, and, you know, relatives would say, oh, I love you, with the expectation, okay, now, now, Say you love me back. And I would stop my family. I'd say, don't ever say that. Don't ever tell my children to say I love you. Because that doesn't change their heart. They will tell you they love you when they of their own will and understanding receive your love and are filled with your love enough where they realize they love you and they will of their own will tell you they love you. One of my sons, I didn't, he didn't say he loved me until I think he was just, uh, three. Three and a half maybe. I remember the first time when he just out of the blue said, Daddy, I love you. Do you have any idea how much that meant to me? He never once told me. I never once asked him to say, tell, tell, say you love Daddy. Or say goodnight to Mommy. Say you love her. No. And I'll, uh, I'll never forget those encounters when each of my children had told me and when they tell me now. It was never prompted. And the first time they said it to my mom, to, to their nana, it made all the difference to her because she knew they meant it. And it's the same way. The invitation goes out to everyone. But there's only a few that respond, guys. And this shouldn't be. It's not about his love. It's not about his acceptance. It's not about earning anything from him. We've got it already in Christ. He longs for intimacy with you. Holiness isn't about earning righteousness Holiness is about allowing our thinking and our actions to conform to his nature because it transforms us. And that leads to greater intimacy, greater communion with him, greater life of the spirit. I'll be honest with you. It's a lot of fun interacting in the realm of the spirit. I, I remember when I was just a aspiring little Pharisee and I was 20 years old. <laughs> And I told the Lord, I said, Lord, there has to be more to life than this. Because my life is just about do's and don'ts and rules. This whole Christian walk thing is, is for the birds. Thank you for redeeming me from hell. I'm eternally grateful. Hell bad. Wanting to be in heaven one day, very good. But the in-between time here on the earth is just pretty horrendous, to be perfectly honest. And I shared that with the Lord. And that led me down an encounter with him that started me on a whole different walk 
of changing and tossing out all my theology and self-righteousness and fear and pain and ignorance to how much he loves his children. Holiness is not about self-righteousness. It's not about works. It's not about ignoring the soul and just focusing on the outward appearance. That means very, very, very little. It needs to come from the inner transformation as we spend time with him. And then as we spend time with him, the Holy Spirit will tap us on our heart and say, David, it's time to give this up. It's time to put away childish things. And the answer, we'll already know it in our heart. When we, our heart wants to ask, why, Lord? He says, because I want you to experience more intimacy with me. And that's what it's about, guys. You know, you say, well, the righteousness of Christ, you know, I, my, my earlier days of, of, of being on blog talk, I had people that, that um, I've gotten to know fairly well, and they said, David, you don't really talk on holiness much. And, and everything has to be laid in a foundation, guys. Everything that I'm sharing, that my place to serve in the body is just one big foundation in Christ. It's knowing who you are and from there understanding the things that we're meant to do or not do is not based upon earning or pretending or appearing a certain way. It's because in Christ we have access to the realms of his glory. It's not saved for some elite, no matter how many, no matter who may say or imply otherwise. The realms of his glory is not for some elite Christian or some um, elders or people that, that would make us feel or think implication or by doctrine or by teaching or by example that there are those called and have a special calling that those that do not. The Lord's bringing that false belief system down big time in this day. Those, 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 those walls are coming down. The Lord has called everyone to himself. And the only reason why there's a remnant is because there's few that choose to accept that and desire to seek him. But I know that, that those of you that are listening desire that, or really you wouldn't be listening to, to these teachings. or You know, I know that. I've seen that. So I just want to encourage you all with that. Um, We'll finish up with this now. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. See, now we begin to understand a little bit more what the Word is talking about. It's not self-righteousness. It's not about outward works. Blessed are the pure in mind, will, and emotions. What does that mean, pure? It means to be in the same nature of God. This verse could be said another way. Blessed are those that are in the same nature as God, for they will see God. It's being transformed into his nature that allows his nature to be reflected, the scriptures say, like a mirror. We see the glory of the Lord as if we're beholding a mirror. Why? Because the glory is in us. And the more that we allow him to change our thinking, And from our thinking, we ultimately change and conform our actions. We put our body into submission. The more that we engage the reality of the spirit realm in us, the more that we see the glory that's in us and around us. It's literal, guys. It is not metaphorical in any way. 
in any way. I, I, I try to really balance out personal experiences. I do believe that to a degree some of them are necessary, but I really am commissioned to, to speak the word um, and, and speak for the word and how it applies to relationship. But, but I will share there are times, and I wrote about this very recently on, on the blog, when I prayed for a couple, I literally saw the manifest presence of the love of God on them. Right? That's not, it's not, I don't have a special call that, that allows that. Um, we're all meant to engage the realm of the spirit. It's, it's, it's normal Christianity. It's the normal Christian walk in life. That's what's normal. It's what's supposed to be normal. There's nothing, there's nothing supernatural about a supernatural walk. I don't know if that made any sense, but you guys know what I mean. James 4, 8, 9 says, Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You could do a study on that verse alone that will take you hours. How can we come near to God if he's already inside of us? Right? Well, this is going back to the principle of Psalm 42.1. My heart cries out for the Lord. Well, if he's talking to born-again believers and the Holy Spirit is in us, the kingdom is in us, how can we draw nigh to the Lord? How can we draw close to the Lord? It's a principle that David was speaking of under the Old Covenant, the same principle. We choose to engage the realm of the Spirit, or we choose to set our mind on the things that whatever around us that we want to. You know, that's not, that doesn't, <laughs> this is where we get weird, okay? Here's where we get weird. We say, okay, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to put on my shoes unless God tells me to. Well, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to barbecue steak unless God tells me, and Lord, what should I wear today? That, guys, that's just weird, okay? It's just weird. Now, and depending upon our walk, there are things that God will tell us to engage in or to stop engaging in. The reason why I don't give money examples for that, because that's going to be different for each person depending upon their walk and depending upon how those natural interactions in the physical realm um, will affect our spiritual walk. They're going to be different for each person. I can't, I have, I, I, I cannot give examples. I, there are things that I just can't do that other people in my fellowship, me and my fellowship, me and the fellowship that I'm a part of, that I meet with, that I gather with, that I know they, they do, and, and it's, it has no impact upon their walk. But I know I can't engage in that because it affects me a certain way, and vice versa. There are things that they, that they know that they share with me or my brother share with me. I can't do that. It doesn't bother me. I said, no, not the slightest. But the day when the Holy Spirit taps me on the shoulder and says, David, I want you to look at this. Absolutely. You got it, Lord. Just say the word. There's something here that's causing my walk to go off and I'm not even aware of it. When in doubt, throw it out. Right? That's being led by the Spirit of God as opposed to just creating more works. This is an unbiblical works-based system we're talking about. I do things on the outside thinking it's going to change my inside. Here's the real simple answer, guys. Just spend time with him. Agree with his word. And from that outflow, you will be prompted on how to live, on the actions. They'll come from the inner man. That transforms us more and more into holiness. Corinthians 7, 1. Therefore, since we have these promises, because Paul was just done talking about 2 Corinthians 5 and 6, the promises in the New Covenant. 
So now he goes on. He has some context, right? We always want context. 2 Corinthians 7.1. Therefore, since we have these promises, the promises of the new covenant, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. This is the proper way in which we do it. By understanding that we're spirit beings, we don't want to contaminate our spirit. How do we contaminate our spirit? How do we defile? The word contaminate is another word for defile. Same word, defile. Okay, so it's to lightly esteem. It's to desecrate. It's not to treat properly. It's not to honor. The way we do that is the gateway of the soul. The soul stands between the body and the spirit. So the crux of this is the very thing that's not mentioned. Everything that contaminates body and spirit is the, is, the, is the soul man. The soul gets to determine what the body is going to do and how we think will determine whether we receive or reject the spirit man in us. So the things that contaminate the body and the spirit have to do with the soul. That's why he said to purify ourselves from that which contaminates, what contaminates the body and the spirit, the carnal-minded man. As we learn to reject the dead man and conform our minds to the mind of God, we walk in holiness and spirit because we're yielding to our spirit man now, and now our bodies will be subject to the mind of Christ that tells it what to do. This is the walk. This is how we can turn to greater intimacy. Our soul must be in alignment and drawing and submitting to our spirit man. This is sanctification. That's the process of being like God or being holy. This enters into greater intimacy and it keeps building. The final thought there, and we're, we're just going to recap. Exodus 24, Moses in the Mount. Look at, reread Exodus 24. Study the lives of what took place there. You had the people, you had the elders, you had Miriam and Aaron, and then you had Moses. Right, so four classes, the people, the elders, the siblings, and Moses. If you study the lives, the hearts of each one of those classes, you will see why Moses was the one to go up to the mountain. It wasn't that Moses went up well because he was called to lead the people out. No, many are called, few are chosen. Moses alone had walked in holiness enough with the Lord, was conformed into the nature of the Lord, where Moses was, was free to engage the Lord in that depth of intimacy. Puts a whole different spin on Exodus 24. Study the lives of the people, the elders, Aaron and Miriam, and then Moses. Moses, they all had the invitation but because they were not allowing themselves to be conformed into the nature of God, they couldn't enter into the physical presence of God. It would have destroyed them. It was the mercy of God that he said, don't come any further. Because anything that touches my holy mountain will be destroyed. And yet Moses touched the mountain and wasn't destroyed. Because Moses wasn't carrying around the sin nature and the carnal mind that the rest of the people, even his brother and sister were. It's not that Moses had a special calling. That's why he was given a special privilege. God did, there are no favoritisms in God. It's that Moses had conformed himself into the nature of God to the point where he came into interaction with the nature of God. There was nothing to judge. Sin is judged in the presence of God. I get such a kick out of it when people talk about, well, we want the holiness of the Holy Spirit. Well, we, we need to really be careful what we want to manifest in our assemblies. 
Because when the Holy Spirit comes, holiness instantly judges sin. We're not judged. Sin is judged. That's why, that's why Ananias and Sapphira, two born-again believers, fell into the presence of Peter. Because the holiness, the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit flowing through Peter, was, who was so transformed into the nature and image of the Lord, the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit was so strong, flowing within and around Peter, the atmosphere of heaven was so strong, that when an Ananias and Sapphira lied, they entered, sin entered into the presence of the Holy Spirit. Peter was a, I said Paul, if I did, I meant Peter, sorry. Peter was so manifested in the presence and the holiness of God that when they lied, that was judged. Now, they weren't judged. They were redeemed. They were, they were, they were born-again believers. But their body could not handle the holiness of God, and it short-circuited, and they died. I don't mean to get off on that tangent, but just so that we understand that a little bit. When God withholds, um, uh, or not withholds, it is the mercy of God that allows us only to engage his glory to the degree that we can handle it. It's his love that allows it so that when we engage him to the degree that we walk in his nature, he is able to allow us to see the, de- the degrees of his veiled or unveiled nature. It's not anger or wrath, it's his love. That's why he's calling us to greater and greater callings of transformation to his image so we can walk in greater and greater intimacy, which is greater and greater manifestation of his holy presence. So to sum up, what is holiness? It is being in the same nature of God. How do we walk in holiness? We walk in agreement with his word, and then we walk in action to what his word says. This means we agree with the word and then we have the actions of the word that are in agreement. Any and all areas of the body and the soul must be participating in this if we want to walk in holiness. It must start from the inside out. How does it affect uh, the depth of our intimacy? Bottom line is holiness, holiness or being in the same nature of God is what is intimacy intimacy union to the degree that we are transformed into his nature that's why Jesus said I and and the Father are one just as you and I are one in him so now walk in that holiness walk in that union this means conforming our beliefs and then ultimately conforming our actions so that the body does not defile the soul get the soul thinking about things that that, that are opposing the nature of God and then our soul is walking in agreement with the nature of our spirit man. So we're transformed by spending time into his presence. Time in his presence transforms our soul. We conform to the mind of Christ. And from the mind of Christ, from the inside out, eventually our actions will model that. And how we, what we're to do or not do with our bodies um, will be expressions of the desires of our soul that's renewed into his image. So um, that's going to conclude part three of uh, of how to enter into, you know, doorways to intimacy, keys to intimacy. Um, and this part is, is holiness. Well, I'm going to move on to some other things probably in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Dorothy, uh, anything on your end? Were there any questions? And uh, No, no questions. 
Okay. Okay. Well, there was a lot. I know there was a lot there, and I was moving kind of a fast clip, but um, but praise God. Um, you know, uh, understanding um, understanding intimacy, guys. Understanding it's not about favoritism. It's not about God withholding. It's about the more that we're transformed into his image, the more that we put things in proper biblical alignment, the more that we um, freely engage what we have access to all along. Um, So anyway, Dorothy, thank you as always. And uh, I will see you um, potentially this coming up week. I hope to jump on something new this coming week, but we'll we'll have to see how it goes. Um, But but that's my goal, but I'll post it on the... um, Blog Talk Radio soon enough with you if, if, if we could do that when the next time will be. Um, okay. So everyone have a, a wonderful Father's Day to all families. Um, enjoy the holiday. Enjoy time with the family to all physical and spiritual emotional fathers. Bless Father's Day. Take your place. Take your place in the body of Christ that we're meant to be as men of God and in, in the body of Christ. And bless you with life, courage, confidence. Know that you're loved. And the same, of course, to... Um, all the ladies out there, we are one body of many parts meant to complement each other and to work together. So praise God, everybody, uh, for all those listening. Um, enjoy the weekend. And for those listening afterwards, I hope you did enjoy the weekend. And Dorothy, um, praying for you as always, and I will catch up with you real soon. Okay. Thanks, Dorothy. Have a wonderful weekend. I'll talk to you soon. You too. Father bless everyone. Okay. Good Father night. bless. <laughs>